Hey, I want to welcome you to the Marty McLean Podcast. This is episode number 24. Today's date is November the 17th. It is two weeks since the election took place, and we still do not have a certified winner. We have a lot of intrigue, both national and international. Uh, we have a lot of moving parts. We have a contested election. We have potential election uh, fraud. And it's a very, very interesting time to be alive in the United States of America. As you know, on the Marty, Marty McLean podcast, we look at issues pertaining to life, religion, and politics. So I have been speaking some from the book of Ezekiel, and I want to just kind of give a quick survey of chapters 12 through 14, and then we're going to talk about some of the events of the day in which we live. But if you, you remember the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel is a prophet. He's a prophet in exile, living in amongst a bunch of Jewish exiles. They're in the Babylonian exile. Uh, he was taken captive around 597 B.C. Uh, chapter 12 probably picks up around, probably close, getting close to 588 B.C. because the Babylonians are about to lay siege for the third time to Jerusalem. And the third time will be a charm because they will totally destroy Jerusalem, they'll destroy the temple, tear down the walls, and scatter the people, well, what's left of the people. Now, the thing about Ezekiel is he is a prophet. He was a priest, and God called him to be a prophet. He's prophesying the word of God to those who are in exile. At the same time, you have Jeremiah, who's also a prophet. He is prophesying to the people who are still in Jerusalem. Now, there were those who said, you know, this exile thing is only going to last for a few years, and, and we will be back. And... They would ignore the words that Jeremiah spoke. As a matter of fact, Jeremiah had sent a letter to those who were in exile, and he told them, might as well get used to it. You're going to be there for quite a few decades. Uh, plant vineyards, raise your children, pray for the peace of the city, because you're going to be there for a while. But there were those that said, no, nah, it's not going to happen like that. Uh, we're going to, just a few short years, we'll be back in Jerusalem. And so they really would not believe the prophetic word that was, that was being given. So God gave the prophet Jeremiah, he, he gave him some what they call action sermons. Uh, he would use a sash. He would use a, a potter's vessel. Uh, Ezekiel, we saw earlier in the book of Ezekiel, where Ezekiel would lay on his left side and then his right side for X number of days. He would build a replica of the city of Jerusalem. Now he's going to do a couple more action sermons. In, in chapter 12, God's going to tell Ezekiel, I want you to get your belongings like you're moving, like you're leaving, like you're a refugee. I want you to dig through the wall of your house and I want you to do this in the sight of the people so that they'll see you leaving. And I want you to tell them that this is going to be what's going to happen to what's left of the inhabitants of Jerusalem, that they will be refugees. Jerusalem is not going to be spared. I will put my judgment upon Jerusalem. And he gave them another action sermon. He said, I want you to eat and drink, but when you drink your water, I want you to shake a lot, like you're, you're fearful, like you have a lot of anxiety, and I want you to, to shake while you're eating. Because this is what it's going to be like for the inhabitants of Jerusalem because they're going to be in fear because the Babylonians are going to encircle the city and they're going to, you know, after about two years laying siege to Jerusalem, they're going to break through the walls and, and they're going to conquer the city. Even the prince, Zedekiah, who's occupying the role of king, he's going to be taken captive and he's not going to be able to see it. Now we know from biblical history that Zedekiah would have his eyes plucked out by Nebuchadnezzar uh, when he tried to escape from the city. So Ezekiel is given a couple of action sermons. And he says also a couple of proverbs that people are saying, Ezekiel, I want you to address those. There are some that say, hey, we hear these prophecies all the time. Nothing ever happens. It's not going to happen. Let them know now it's going to happen. 
also for the others that say, well, it's going to happen, but it's going to happen in a distant future. It's not going to happen in our lifetime. Let them know it's going to happen now. It's going to happen in their lifetime. So he tells them these couple of things, and then he addresses in chapter 13 the false prophets. He addresses those who are prophesying in their own name, who were prophesying according to their own heart. And he says, let them know I'm against them. And I found them out. And he also addresses the women who were involved in prophesying. Well, they're involved in basically witchcraft. He said they were hunting the souls of men like birds. And he says, I'm against him as well. And as a matter of fact, I like what he says in Ezekiel 13, 22. He says, because with lies you have made the heart of the righteous sad, whom I have not made sad. And you have strengthened the hand of the wicked so that he does not turn from his wicked way to save his life. Therefore, you shall no longer envision futility nor practice divination. For I will deliver my people out of your hand, and you shall know that I am the Lord. He said, you've, you have made the, the righteous sad, and you have not given warning to the wicked, and they continue on in their wickedness. Now, I think it's safe to say when you read a passage like this, or you look at pass, you know, a passage like Ezekiel 12 through 14, that not everyone who speaks in the name of the Lord actually speaks in the name of the Lord. I know in the United States of America, this has been a very divisive time uh, in evangelical Christianity. We have had people on different ends of the political, political spectrum. Uh, we have had a political candidate, President Trump, who has, uh, just by virtue of his, I think his personality, uh, his his history, uh, his Twitter, has really uh, divided Christians uh, into two different camps. And it has been interesting to hear, you know, you, you read some people, like I think I've, I've referenced before with, uh, say, a Timothy Keller or a John Piper, and you, you read their view on things, and then you have others like, Al Mohler, as I mentioned before in a podcast, you know, former never Trumper. Now he said he was going to vote for Trump. And you have others, uh, people more of the, I would say, the charismatic uh, variety, such as a Jeremiah Johnson or Lance Wallnow, who say, you know, give a prophetic word about Trump. And you're like, okay, what what is going on here? Who Who is hearing from the Lord? Uh, you know, what what is it that the Lord is really saying during this time and i think it really it really is is a time of really praying pray and say god you know what are what are you telling us or what what do you want what is it that you are doing in our nation and you know you put aside all your preconceived ideas all your you know still be guided by scripture i mean i'm not saying just be a blank slate or anything like that but you know you still have your mind guided by scripture but at the same time you say okay lord uh, what's going on here? You know, what's going on? Did these people hear incorrectly? Um, are we looking at things too much from a geopolitical uh, perspective? You know, God, what exactly are you doing? And and just let the Lord reveal what, what's going on because, I mean, we, we need the Lord to work at this time because let, let me tell you this. I, I you know, I'm a student of history. I, I love to read history. Uh, even when I was growing up, I used to, uh, during the summers, I'd, I'd read the encyclopedias. I just like stuff like that. And I, I know from a geopolitical situation that I personally believe 
from my own perspective, that we would be a lot better off as the United States of America uh, under a Trump administration than we would under a Biden administration. And I'm, I'm going to tell you some of this stuff why in just, in just a few minutes. And I know that, you know, the election is still not, not officially decided. And I'll be honest with you. I'll just be fully transparent. My desire is that uh, Trump be, uh, Trump has a second term. I'm just flat out tell you right now. November 17th. That's my desire. Trump has a second term. We're going to see what we're going to see what the Lord is going to allow to happen, and what we'll, you know, we'll just see how that turns out. But there's some developments that's happened now that uh, Joe Biden has uh, been declared by the news media to be the president elect. Even though it is a contested election, uh, we have kind of seen some things that have been revealed through decisions that he has made in it for a potential Biden administration that quite frankly, are, are a little bit alarming. For instance, Democrat and George Washington University law professor Jonathan Turley, he has said, quote, for those of us who have been critical of the growing anti-free speech movement in the Democratic Party, the Biden transition team just took an ominous turn. And what is he talking about, the ominous turn? Well, he talks, he is talking about how Joe Biden has uh, put Richard Stengel in the Biden transition team, he is the team leader for the U.S. Agency for Global Media, the United States government media empire that, that oversees the Voice of America, the Middle East Broadcasting Networks, and Radio Free Europe and Radio Liberty. Now, the thing about Stengel is that he is quoted as saying, quote, all speech is not equal, and where truth cannot drive out lies, we must add new guardrails. I'm all for protecting thought that we hate, but not speech that, inspire, that incites hate. So here he is. He's a guy that's in charge of, you know, communications and the voice of America. And he wants to put some new guardrails on free speech. And that, that is, you know, that is, just to be flat out honest with that, that is disturbing. Who decides what is hate speech? See, that's the whole thing. They could say that, you know, as, as a pastor, if I say homosexuality is a sin, well, then that is hate speech. As, as a matter of fact, if you want to get kind of uh, the way it, you know, if you want to understand more about why I would say stuff like that, in Norway, you know, well, Norway, what's Norway got to do? Well, if you look over there in Northern Europe, we have a tendency to kind of drift in that direction. Here's an article from Reuters this week. It says, Norway outlaws hate speech against trans and bisexual people. Now, Norway's parliament, this is from the article, outlawed hate speech against trans, transgender and bisexual people on Tuesday, expanding its penal code, which, is protected, which has protected gay and lesbian people since 1981. And so here they have, they have expanded it where you can actually get charged even if you spoke something in private. If, if you say something that is deemed to be hate speech, you say something against, you know, homosexuality, so to speak, or somebody being transgender, then that could be considered uh, a crime, and there are consequences to that crime. And you need to look, if you, you know, just look at that, you get to Google Norway and look at their new laws that they have come out with. But it, it, do, it does not stop, it does not stop there. We've got an, another development uh, with the uh, Joe Biden administration, and this involves Ezekiel Emanuel. Here's an, here's an article 
uh, from Newsweek. And let, let me read some of this to you. It says, a doctor whom President-elect Joe Biden has appointed to advise about the coronavirus is facing criticism from an article he wrote six years ago in which he argued that he had no aspiration to live beyond the age of 75. The essay by Ezekiel Emanuel, an oncologist, who is one of 10 advisory board members that Biden appointed to his coronavirus task force this week, outlined how he believed that by the by that age, quote, creativity, originality, and productivity are pretty much gone for the, for the vast, vast majority of us. Living too long is also a loss. It renders many of us, if not disabled, then faltering and declining a state that may not be worse than death, but is nonetheless deprived. Now, this is from an article he wrote in 2014 in The Atlantic, and the name of the article was, was titled, why I hope to die at 75. And you know what's, what's interesting, he says, you know, people you know, past the age of 75 are really not that productive. And Joe Biden, who is 77, has actually hired the guy. And so, you know, that, that's kind of, that's kind of, uh, of, of interesting. Um, he also said... Uh, that he would reject, this is from the article, that he would reject medical treatments like flu shots and that, quote, if there were to be a flu pandemic, a younger person who has yet to live a complete life ought to get the vaccine or any antiviral drugs. Continues, Emmanuel made it clear in his piece that he opposed physician-assisted suicide and did not want to reach 75 and then simply die. But anyway, he also said that dying at 75 will not be a tragedy. So here's what uh, Matt Walsh from the Matt Walsh, Walsh Show, here's what he tweeted about it. He said, the coronavirus disproportionately kills those who are 75 and older. Joe Biden's coronavirus advisor has argued in the past that people who are over the age of 75 would be better off dead. What could possibly go wrong? A Republican senator from Arkansas, Tom Cotton, here's what he tweeted. Quote, Americans want our country opened up not creepy bioethicists who enjoy playing God. So, you know, when, when you talk about, okay, you got a guy on your transition team who has said he wants to limit free speech. We need new guardrails on free speech. And you got another guy who's on your coronavirus task force that says basically, you know, hey, when you're 75 years old, somebody might as well stick a fork in you because you're done. There's not much left to live after 75 and that that guy's with the coronavirus task force, and you see what this coronavirus does to those who are 75 years of age and older, and he says, you know, hey, it's not really worth living after 75, man. You need to give it up. So what, here's one thing you have to understand. When we go to this socialized medicine, you have to understand, when you cease to be, quote, a productive member of society, you become a drag on the system. It's all about the system. And when you get older, you're not able to be as productive and you're, you're a drag on the system. That's how this stuff works. That's why socialized medicine is not good. And the older you get, you need to be more and more uh, leery of anybody who wants to promote socialized medicine. I'm telling you, it's not good. Well, that's on the political scene. Now I want to talk a little bit, uh, kind of expand this here. Uh, here's uh, an article from the Daily Beast course that's a liberal publication and this is kind of i'm going on an, on, a, on another train of thought here okay so so bear with me 
Newly elected GOP Congressman Madison Cawthorn has tried to convert Jews to Christianity. That's the name of the article. Oh no, he's trying to convert Jews to Christianity. Here's what it says: Madison Cawthorn, the New York, uh, the new, I'm sorry, the North Carolina Republican, who will become the youngest member of Congress in history, has admitted that he tried to convert Jews and Muslims to Christianity. Now it's interesting. This piece in the Daily Beast. They're making it out like, oh my goodness, that's a terrible thing that he's doing. They don't understand. That's what Christians do. We share the gospel. We want people to embrace Christ. We want Jews to become followers of Christ. Uh, we want Muslims to receive Christ as their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's the answer for the Jews, for the Muslims, for the Christians. You, you need to embrace Jesus. You need to accept Jesus. And, and Madison Cawthorn sharing Christ with a Jew or a Muslim, that's not a bad thing. That actually is a very, very, very good thing. So that's another thing that's going on in our culture. And, and here's one more. This week, Harry Styles, the British singer and actor, was put on the cover of Vogue magazine. I mean, if I'm not mistaken, he's the only male that's been featured as a solo person on Vogue magazine. And he's wearing a dress. And in the photo shoot, I think he's you know, wearing several women's items of clothing, and he likes the way it makes him feel. He, he likes trying on, I reckon he likes wearing pretty things. I, I don't know what the deal is. And so they put him on the cover of Vogue magazine. And what do you expect? You put a man in a dress on the cover of a magazine, do you, do you expect everybody to just say, hey, wow, that's a wonderful thing? Or do you expect some people to kind of push back on that and say, you know, I, I don't think that's the best thing to do? I really don't think it's a good thing for a man to wear a dress. I think we need to maintain the distinction between men and women. Well, here's what Candace Owens put. Now, you know, Candace Owens, she is the political pundit. She's on Twitter. Uh, she, I mean, if you ever read some of her stuff, it's, it's pretty good. I mean, she goes toe-to-toe -to -toe with, with about anybody out there. But uh, here's what she says, quote, in, in response to... Harry Styles wearing a dress on the cover of Vogue magazine. She says, quote, There is no society that can survive without strong men. The East knows this. In the West, the steady feminization of our, of our men at the same time Marxism is being taught to our children is not a coincidence. It's an outright attack. Bring back manly men. And so when she put that, of course, there's this huge blowback that she received from uh, liberals in in the press and you know they're they're adding her tweeting toward her and all this kind of stuff uh, one actress Olivia Wilde I think she's also maybe producing a movie that Harry Styles is going to be in she said quote I hope that this brand of confidence as a male that Harry has truly devoid of any traces of toxic masculinity is indicative of his generation and therefore the future of the world now, I hope Olivia Wilde is sadly mistaken. But anyway, after Candace Owens got all this brushed back because of what she said about bring back manly men, she retweeted, she says, quote, Since I'm trending, I'd like to clarify what I meant when I said bring back manly men. I meant bring back manly men. Terms like toxic masculinity we're created by toxic females. Real women don't do fake feminism. Sorry, I'm not sorry. Of course, you know, that kind of just stoked the anger a little bit more with some. 
And then finally, there's a tweet that uh, was sent her way by Elijah Wood. Of course, Elijah Wood uh, played Frodo in Lord of the Rings. He said, quote, I think you've missed the definition of what a man is. Masculinity alone does not make a man. That's from Frodo. And so Candace Owens re responded in all caps, don't tempt me, Frodo, which is kind of funny, you know. But, but anyway, so there's a guy wearing a dress, and, you know, we're supposed to think that's normative. And what you have in our culture is you have the blurring distinction between men and women, and it just get, keeps getting worse and worse. And, you know, people respond to that saying, you know, hey, I would imagine Harry Styles can wear uh, anything he wants to, but a man wearing a dress, that's not what we're looking for. That, that uh, you know, you, you always talk about toxic max masculinity, and, and there has been an assault on masculinity in our culture. And let me just say, men need to be men and women need to be women. That's it. God made a male and female, and I believe that's the way God wants them to be. And this transgender stuff and uh, men dressing like women, women dressing like men, a guy on the cover of Vogue magazine, I mean, he, he can do whatever he wants to, but don't tell me that's normal. Don't tell me that needs to be a role model. Don't tell me that needs to be an example that others need to follow, but because absolutely it does not. And so that's the world in which we live in today. We have a contested presidential election. Who knows what's going to happen? Well, some people know what's going to happen. God knows what's going to happen. But we have a contested presidential election. We have a man on the coronavirus task force that says, you know, when you get 75 years old, you, you're about done. Uh, life ain't worth living after 75. You got a guy that's uh, with the communications that says, you know, we need to put some new guardrails on free speech. And these are people that are going to be a part of a Biden administration. And also, I told you some other problems from a previous podcast that I would have with a, with a Biden administration uh, when it comes to the issue of abortion, when it comes to the issue of preferring Iran over Israel. I mean, there's going to be some definite, you know, the way we approach China. Uh, there's going to be some, some definite issues. But, you know, the presidential election has not been decided at this time. Now, we have some preliminary results, but uh, nothing's been certified until things get certified and Electoral College uh, votes. Uh, you really don't have a, a person in that position until that happens. So who knows what's going to happen? God knows, and we're going to trust him with it. But, you know, it's great. It really is. I really mean this. It's an amazing time to be alive. I mean, it really is. I mean, the things that are happening, I mean, a lot of people live their whole lifetime and never see earth-shattering events like we have seen in the last several years. I mean, it is just a fascinating time to be alive. And, you know, if you know the Lord and you know, hey, God's in charge, God's in control, and He expects me to be salt and light on, on this earth. He expects me to be an active participant while I'm here on earth. I just get one life to live, just one go around, and I want to make it the very best I can for God's glory, for the kingdom of God. And man, it's exciting. We've got the Word of God to lead us. We've got the Holy Spirit inside of us, empowering us. Man, we've got everything we need. So I want to encourage you today. There may be some crazy things going on in this world, but God's still on the throne. Make sure that, as the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, that daily you have your mind renewed. And you do that through spending time in Scripture. Yield yourself to the control of the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit, guided by the Word, and be the difference, be the change that God wants you to be 
in this world that needs some direction. God bless you. Thank you for being with me today for the Marty McLean podcast. Hope you have a great week. And hey, who knows what's going to happen this week? It could be crazy. See you next time on the Marty McLean podcast.